Welcome to another episode of Practically Political. I'm Dave Spencer. And I'm Carrie Sheffield. Let's get started. All right, Dave, they say the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting different results. California Governor Gavin Newsom seems ignorant of this principle. And what is he doing? He's the governor of our, our country's most populous state. We're, you know, ravaged with inflation. He wants to send out more inflationary stimulus checks. Working with the Democrats in the legislature, he reportedly wants to spend $11.5 billion in relief funds. Basically, this is money to buy the election. This is a gimmick. Right now, we have a, uh, a problem here with the supply chain. And what he's going to do is make the demand bigger and he's going to make the demand problem better or worse off because he's going to drive demand higher. So is there anything that can stop Newsom? You're there in California. What can we do? Oh, Carrie. Well, I know it's been a tough couple of weeks for your for your boy Trump, but I don't know. <laughs> is this the best you can do? I mean, I, well, let me say a few things. First of all, when you look at the proportion, $11.5 billion for 40 million Californians, if you scaled that to what the American Rescue Plan was, that would be like giving Californians hundreds of billions of dollars. So it's a little hyperbole to say that this is going to be a little hyperbolic to say that this is... Uh, going to be cause huge inflation. Now, having said that, you and I agree that it's stupid policy. And first of all, Gavin Newsom does not have to worry about this election. And that's the irony. Who knew that three years after Kamala Harris seemed to be sitting on top of the world, that Newsom would be the one who's in a better spot right now. That's what you, what you got to love about politics, how, how things can flip on a dime. But Again, you know, it's just it's trying to buy votes. It's uh, it's it's a waste of money. I think that money would be far better spent on programs that can actually directly help people. You know, I'm like a I'm a care not cash kind of guy. I think if you give people money, particularly if they're in a bad place already, they're not going to have the discipline or the awareness to spend it wisely. Where if you can give them programs to help them for specific needs then the money is much more wisely spent. I think we I think we agree on that. Obviously, we might differ on, you know, what gets spent where and for whom, but I think that's a pretty ironclad principle of anyone who's not a flaming liberal. So, yeah, is it is it irritating? Yes, but is it going to make a difference on the overall inflationary spectrum? No, I think it's uh, negligible. Your thoughts? Well, I think he should, if he really wants to help inflation, he should give that money to cut taxes for businesses. That would be a supply chain solution. And then he should also reduce the regulation. California has some of the worst green energy mandates uh, and policy, you know, just incoherent policies that's, that's harmful for energy production in the state. He should do away with that. That will be a much better solution for inflation than doing this. And then, you know, put it away maybe in the rainy day fund. I, I agree with you that this is a waste of money. And not to mention, he's actually giving this money away to families who are making, I think it was like 200 or 250K for a single person and then up to well, 500K. It scales down I mean, to it's, a small amount when you get to that. Yeah, amount. but like... I, I mean, 250,000 is, is, I mean, I know it goes a lot less in California, but it still ain't chump change. I mean, that's, that is a significant income for anywhere in the country. Yes, and I, I, I don't think anyone would any. say that, it, that it's not livable. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> right, exactly. And so you should, you don't, you don't need this. Um, and yeah, I, I, there was a recent study just, just came out of the federal reserve in Atlanta showing the marriage penalty as they call it, um, especially for poor single mothers and how, uh, they showed over time, uh, it's a 13.7%, uh, more of these mothers, uh, just the impact of, of, uh, a marriage penalty because your, your benefits get taken away if you marry the father. So the more of these benefits that we put in that, uh, discourage, family formation, um, that's a problem. And this isn't a marriage specific thing, but in general, policy should not be about giving away free things. There's nothing free. It should be about equipping people and educating people so that they can create their own wealth and, and pass on a legacy. Because that's the thing is about these, these social programs. They're not designed to create a legacy and people won't be able to create intergenerational wealth through them. And so what he's doing is just a gimmick. No, I agree. And I think that, you know, just to take a step back and, and, offer some thoughts on California's tax system. Contrary to popular belief, people are not moving out of California because of taxes. They're moving out of California because of living expenses, i.e. lack of affordable housing. California actually has a very progressive tax system. The regulations are over the top, but that's true in, in even a lot of red states. But what the problem with California's tax system is it's overly dependent on personal income taxes, right? So you have all you have half of the revenue comes from the top 1% of earners. Now, some of that is capital gains, which California treats as ordinary income. But the system where you pay progressively up to 10.3% over a million, and then you pay 13.3 over a million, I think is a very fair system. Because if I've as I've always said, if you're making five million instead of one million, paying an extra 120,000 is not going to change your behavior. But the problem is that you're subject to the vicissitudes of the economy, right? So when the economy's booming, hey, everything's great. But then when the economy slows down, tax revenue slows down. But guess what? In a baseline budgetary system, things don't get cut, right? So this is what's happened over and over again. And that, to me, is the main problem with uh, California's tax system. Okay, now to you. Okay, given the increasing amount of incredibly damaged testimony from the congressional hearings about President Trump's actions and behavior on January 6th, how do you see this affecting the, the midterms? And with more testimony still to come and evidence of his complicity, planning, and so many more things becoming irrefutable, uh, his attempts to overturn the election, essentially, will we see finally the trickle of Republican candidates that are starting to move away from President Trump increase, if nothing else, to protect their own chances of winning. Thoughts? Well, uh, Dave, I think you and I know we've been around this Trump world long enough to never write the obituary of Trump. I, I think that that is first and foremost uh, just the lesson that I think if anyone has been paying attention, that would be a top lesson for people. And, uh, I, and I it's cannot interesting. disagree. <laughs> and in terms of polling and the resiliency of the admiration for Trump, Harvard does regular polling with Harris, which is Mark Penn's pollster, who was the pollster for Bill Clinton. They did polling on June 28th and 29th, which was, uh, you know, right around the time of all, all of this happening. So people knew about it when they were asked. And they, they asked about admiration. Who, who's your top political figure that you admire, 
Trump was still number one. Uh, it was 42% people have a favorable opinion of Trump. Bernie Sanders was uh, two points behind that in second place. And VP Pence was third place. And then Joe Biden was fourth place. So, you know, and, and then poll, you know, I, I know there's been some polling in New Hampshire that put Ron DeSantis ahead of Trump uh, in terms of a primary, but New Hampshire is, is notoriously inconsistent about selecting the final nominee. So I just think that for a lot of people, in the Republican base, this is kind of Mueller 2.0, that the testimony that we heard, I mean, Trump himself said that he wanted to go to the Capitol. So that that was not a new revelation. Um, and, and then just other things that were said were, you know, secondhand, and they wouldn't be admissible in the court in terms of that they're hearsay. And yeah, we should we should dig in and find out what happened. But I think that's the problem is that this is this is not an actual digging in. There's no cross examination of witnesses. There's no uh, ability for an, an actual uh, understanding of the security lapses that occurred. Uh, you know, Cash Patel, who's the who was the chief of staff for the DoD in the Trump administration. He has said multiple times that the National Guard was approved and Nancy Pelosi turned it down. So in terms right, of the the, the security okay. failure, that was a, a key problem there. But as to Trump, you know, I think people at the end of the day, you have to let the people decide. And uh, I think that there's so much partisanship. And yeah, I think Trump went too far on Jan 6 and leading up to it. I think he had some terrible legal advisors who were giving him theories that weren't going to go anywhere. Um, but at the end of the day, it's up to the people. But he sought out those advisors. I mean, he people that told him what he didn't want to hear were jettisoned. And then he found the Rudy Giuliani's and the people that would tell him what he, what, what he wants to hear. But let me just take. So before I respond, there's a lot to unpack there. So you don't think that it will affect candidates' midterm elections, and you don't think that it's going to result in much of a change for candidates moving away from Trump. So you would say no to both of those questions. No, I mean, it, well, because okay. look at the polling. That the top issue is the economy. Well, there's other it polls really too that show people creeping up. But also, well, let me. I'll, I'll say first thing. I agree with you mostly on some of that, but here's where the here's where we disagree. I agree with you that the forty percent that are rock on the right or rock on the left, those are not gonna change. But you know, 13 million people, as many as 13 million people have watched these hearings. And again, let me just point out, there's no cross-examination because the most, one of the most dim-witted politicians in the history of the country, Kevin McCarthy, made another stupid decision by not putting anyone on the committee. So typically, like during impeachment, people drown each other out, but because of Kevin McCarthy, there's no cross-examination, so a lot of it sinks in more. But, but, but my other point is that 20% of the people that are undecided, I think they can be moved. And I think they will be moved because the it's become so clear now. I mean, let's think about it, okay? It wasn't just Trump being influenced, but he approved, helped plan, and encouraged people to show up and the insurrection to, be, to, to happen, to be planned. He wanted to march to the Capitol with the mob whom he knew was armed. I mean, you know, I don't effing care whether they're armed. They're not here to shoot me, is basically what he said. And he wished Mike Pence harm. So I have to say, you know, I, when Liz Cheney first said, either you're with Donald Trump or you're with Constitution, with the Constitution, I thought that was a little dramatic. But right now it's true. People have to make a choice. So are you with Donald Trump or are you, are you with the Constitution? I don't think it's an either or binary choice. Of course not. Of course. Uh, 
And, you know, the, the, uh, it was interesting. Uh, Fox News brought in a uh, former Secret Service agent who helped with a lot of these events working for multiple presidents. Mm-hmm. And they said very often presidents would actually request to move those magnometers because it, it gums up, it creates a bottleneck. So he said it's actually very common. He said every president that he'd ever yeah, but worked those for people weren't didn't armed. like to have to deal with them. That's in situations where they How do you armed. know? How do you know? Because I, you know. I I read an article on it. Okay, this is, and by the way, I want to say, you like the right. What the right does to distract is they pick some minor detail because they know they can't respond to the major details. So you retweeted how those, no. secret serv- hold on, hold on. You retweeted how those Secret Service agents had denied that Trump tried to grab the wheel. Maybe that's true. And it is, Cassidy Hutchinson admitted that was secondhand. Nobody's tried to rec- to recruit the stuff that she, to, to refute the stuff that she heard firsthand. That, you know, he he planned and encouraged the insurrection, that he wanted to go to the Capitol with the mob, that he wished harm on Mike Pence, all these things. Notice nobody's refuting that. They're just focusing on, oh, well, he, he never tried to grab the wheel and these guys are willing to testify. And, and there were other presidents who wanted to get rid of the metal detectors. As I said, that's like, arguing which entrance to Ford's theater John Wilkes Booth used when he killed Lincoln. It's a distraction. The bottom line is- But Dave, I have answered the big questions multiple times. Like, okay, when you look at the language of complaining about a stolen election, there are so many other politicians who use that phrasing. Yeah. And then also he said in his, he said in his speech, let's march peacefully down no, there. He did no. not encourage violence. You know what, he said, Peggy, and then, his, and then, and then Liz Cheney was very dishonest. She cut out the part of his tweet where he, he said, go peacefully. She hey, refused to read it because it was Peggy there Newman. and she didn't, it didn't meet her. Hey, you know, you always say how, how we, we both love the Wall Street Journal editorial page, which is you. Peggy Newman, Noonan summed it up right. That go peacefully was a cover your ass comment. In her words, it was a drop of pessimism, pacifism in an ocean of incitement. He said over and over, we, we have to be strong. We're not going to take our country back unless if we're weak, blah, blah, blah. That peaceful thing was politicians say that all the time. Cover his derriere. Come on, that's a classic response from the right. I don't even think Sean Hannity uses that one anymore. But the bottom line is the evidence has become clear. Okay, he tried to overturn a free and fair election, and but more importantly, he's looking backwards. Remember when he was running for re-election? Sean Hannity gave him the cream puff question: Why do you want to win? What are you going to do his second term? He couldn't even answer it. He doesn't have one one idea of how to move forward. It's all looking backwards. So you know, again, we will we will see what happens. Um, I think things are still looking bad for the midterms uh, for the Dems, but they're they're not looking as bad. But so we shall. Well, see. on a related note, yes, on a related note, my question to you is: Yes, Joe Biden is totally underwater. CNN, so it's CNN, not a pro-Trump outlet, uh, reported that Jimmy Carter was better off at this point in his presidency at a 66% disapproval versus a 71% disapproval for Joe Biden. So my question, is Joe Biden at this point a failed president? Well, we can we can argue the, the numbers. I don't think it's that high. But the point is, yes, I and I've said this very honestly, we are on the risk of having two failed presidencies in a row. And frankly, we cannot handle that as a country. Uh, you know, Joe Biden was elected not to be Donald Trump. And I've told you this because, again, unlike you, I'm always fair. He only had to do three things. Not be Donald Trump. OK, 
act like there was a little sanity back in Washington and just do incremental things that people feel are improving their lives. That was Bill Clinton was a master of that. After the impeachment that he went through, he would introduce these little executive actions. He would go around the country talking about minor things that would improve people's lives. Joe Biden sadly doesn't have the strength to get out and to use the bully pulpit. So right now I would say, yes, he is. The verdict is not quite in, but he is on his way to being a failed president. Uh, and, and I think again, after what we went through last time, you know, the worst presidency in history, and now we're gonna have one that's probably gonna be at least bottom 10, it's really bad for the country. You know, we, we need a strong leader. Our country has never been in greater need of dynamic solutions and creative leadership, and our political system has never been less able to provide them. And that, sadly, is the sign of an empire in decline. Final thoughts? Dave, why don't you run? Oh, please. So my question is, I know you and I have had our differences about abortion. You know, I'm pro-choice, but I, but I believe strong limits are important. But of course, you probably heard about this 10-year-old girl who is a, uh, a, a victim, I think it was, of, of incest. And she couldn't have a, an abortion in Ohio, so she's going to have to go to Indiana. And I guess the point is, first of all, would you? how can a 10-year-old even have a baby? And secondly, are there any limits to this extremism of no exceptions for rape or incest? Would you at least allow that 10-year-old girl to have an abortion? Well, yeah. I mean, I think uh, Christy Nome was asked about this very case. And she said, when you're looking at a 10-year-old, I mean, her organs and the systems are not fully developed. I mean, I, I think there is considerable risk um, to the child and to the mother, you know, and I think that that, that risk is something that should really be looked at, you know. And but I think she that also that, said that, that, that is, she wouldn't oppose it. She also said that she would support that law, even with the 10-year-old. No, she, she said in this case, there might be an exception. And again, I, I think this is one of those most extreme cases. But but the truth is, Dave, only 1% of abortions, this is according to the Guttmacher Institute, which is pro-abortion of rapes, or um, excuse me, of abortions in America are a result of rape, 1%. And less than 0.5% are a result of incest. So we're talking about the vast majority of abortions are occurring because of personal economic reasons. So I think using the most extreme cases to, to prove a point is intellectually dishonest. And it, no, is, uh, it is ignoring the, the most vast majority of the fact that women are using abortion as birth control. And I find that deeply unsettling because we were promised under, as you mentioned, Bill Clinton, uh, and I agree, he was a pragmatist president and his phrase was safe, legal and rare. And that's what's the problem is we don't have 930,000 abortions in 2020. That's not rare. And yeah, it's gone down since the 80s, and I'm I'm grateful for that. Yeah, it was but as high as 1.5 million. It's, it's gone it's gone down quite a bit, like 60 percent. Yeah, but still 930 thousand compared to you know three million live births. That's almost one out of four, roughly, give or take, uh, pregnancies in America. That is not rare. And so I just think that having a conversation about the about life, and again, this is this is about science for me. 
the science at conception and the University of Chicago did research and they, they actually pulled, uh, they did their, their methodology, scientific methodology to contact biologists. And 95% of these biologists said that human life begins at conception. Wow. So that is when you have the DNA for an entirely separate human body. So that's why it's two bodies at stake. Here's, here's a stat for you. You know, when evangelicals came up with the life begins at conception, 1979. So this, this, this whole idea that it's been, it's come from the Bible and that it's been, you know, part of our traditions for hundreds of years is just BS. In fact, in the 60s and 70s, a lot of, a uh, lot more Catholics and a lot more Christians were evangelicals were pro-choice. And as Casey Stengel said, you can look it up. But my point is, we agree that yes, but saying that only 1% of abortions are, one and a half percent of abortions are rape or incest, that's like saying, well, only one out of 100 people that are put to death are put to death wrongly. That doesn't matter. I don't care if it's one in a thousand, it's still wrong. And it's not something that, that should exist in this country. And no, I'm, say, uh, and, I'm saying and, that, and, that and, those and, cases are extreme cases in which there are far more people willing to adopt. There are tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people who want to adopt in white America. White babies, so if you're talking not babies about, of color. White babies, babies of that's color. That's not true. Don't get adopted. No, no, no in that, fact, that is no. true. Hey, here's my favorite stat for you. Remember, remember Stephen Levitt who did Freakonomics, that great book? One of his great stats was that one of the main reasons that crime went down in the early 90s is because it was 18 years after Roe versus Wade, and there were far, there were millions of fewer unwanted babies who end up being criminals. So don't tell me that there's all this adoption and that there's no such thing as unwanted babies because it's just, it's just factually in, inaccurate. And the, the other thing I would say is that, you know, these rape exceptions, it, it's, it's just the life of the mother. They don't even have an exception for the health of the mother, which means that it interferes between the decision that should, with the decision that should be made between a doctor and a woman. Okay, this is a personal decision. This is Congress legislating medicine. It's like when they tried to ban so-called partial birth abortion, which is a misnomer to begin with. But again, Congress legislating medicine. But it just goes to show you that the right is all about personal, personal freedom, except when it comes to things that they don't like. I'll give you the last. We're one. gonna have to. We're gonna have to agree to disagree. And the Bible it talks about Jesus, Jesus's cousin John in the womb. Martha the mother, John left within the womb. The conception. That it was, says that, that life begins in the womb. It's, it's like the it holy, says that, It's like the Holy Ghost. No, it says made up. No, no, no. It says that uh, over and over. It says. In my mother's womb, you knew me. In my mother's womb, you knitted That's me. Different. In my mother's Not womb, you thing. knew. No, absolutely. It's saying that within your mother's womb, before you've gone out through the birth canal, God knows anyway. you and God sees you. All right. So I guess we, I guess we all have to, to agree to disagree. But well, folks, yet another scintillating and as, as always, uh, very friendly episode of Practically Political. It was great to have you with us. I'm Dave Spencer. And I'm Carrie Sheffield. We'll see you next time. Bye.